Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for what you're doing on Miyako Island and Okinawa with Lane and Aoko. And we just lift them up to you that you bless them and continue to anoint their efforts, God, and that use, you would use them as lights, God, as your witnesses, and that you would bless them with that, that space they have down there, God, and that they'll be utilized for your glory, God, and that it will just expand their ministry more. So we pray for your provision. We pray for your continued protection, God, and we pray you would be with them. And be with us today, Lord, as we open your word. And God, I pray you would speak to us in a way that you would make us live differently after today, God. So change us, Lord, and continue to bring us closer to you. Anoint our time in your word by your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. I recently read that in the last 3,400 years, there's only been uh, 268 years of peace throughout the, uh, the civilized time or recorded history. So they say that only, uh, uh, that brings, calculates into 8% of peace in all this time. Crazy. I was thinking about, if you look at it that way, it's like, wow. Wow, that is crazy. Another statistics that I came across is in um, 2017 back then, they said out of the 239 years of America being a nation, she's been at war for 222 years of that 239 years. And so that means the U.S. has not been at peace for 93% of its life as a nation. Crazy, but if you think about it, yeah, that, that's true, right? There's always something going on. We're always involved with something. If, even if you think about the unrest in society that we even see today, you know, riots and, and all that going on. So you kind of wonder, will war ever end in the world? Yes, there's a day coming. And we know that, right? There's the day coming when Jesus returns and he sets up his rule and reign on the earth. And then what will happen is like we read in Isaiah 24 or Isaiah 2 verse 4. It says, he shall judge between the nations. Talk about Jesus, our king. And he shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That's a promise in the millennial time that peace will come to the world. But you know what? Before that, before that happens, there will be one final push by Satan. And that is found in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's his last, last push there, a three and a half year campaign. And that's what we're going to find here in Revelation chapter 12. Now, the rest of the chapter, we finished at verse 6 last week. From verse 7 to the end of the chapters is really what I'm titling the devil's last campaign. Now, in this section here, the rest of this chapter, I've divided it into two sections. The war in heaven, which is verse 7 through 12, and the war on earth, which is verse 13 through 17. But today, we're going to just take the first section. I was trying to do the whole thing. I just thought, oh, there's so much in there. I want to go deep here. And so we're just going to take the first section. So this morning, our title is The Devil's Last Campaign, Part 1. And you can say there's a subtitle, The War in Heaven. And that's what we're going to focus in on today from verses 7 through 12. The Devil's Last Campaign, Part 1, The War in Heaven. And there's three things we're going to see here. Number one is Satan's coordinated attack. Number two is Satan's catastrophic defeat. And, and number three is Satan's collapse of power. So let's get into our message today. The Devil's Last Campaign, Part 1, uh, The War in Heaven. And number one here is Satan's coordinated attack. Now here we're going to take a look at verse 7, just verse 7 here. 
It reads, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And we'll stop right there. So we begin here in verse 7, and, and John the Apostle writing this, this is what he sees next now. A war arose in heaven. Now this is interesting. It's not on the earth, right? It's right there in the eternal realm in heaven. And we see here in verse 7, it was, it was Michael, right? Michael is a high-ranking archangel. That's what archangel basically means. He's a, he's a high-ranking angel. He's probably the, the general, the, the leader of the angels, we believe. So here's Michael and his army of holy angels. They're fighting against the dragon. You remember who the dragon is? Satan, right? And then Satan brings up his demons, the other fallen angels with him. So understand this. This is, this is unlike any angelic battle ever fought before. This is the battle of all angelic battles right there in heaven going on. This is what we're seeing in verse 7. Now, I thought this was interesting. Greek scholars tell us that in the original language, in that phrase that here in, in verse 12, verse 7, where, where it says Michael and angels were fighting against the dragon, that phrase, Greek scholars tell us that, that basically it indicates that Satan was the instigator here. So he came on the attack. He came in this manner. And so Michael and his army of angels fought against Satan's attack. So Satan called in his demon army and fought back. Or I like how the NASB puts it, they waged war. These guys waged war. So you see Satan now and his demon army stormed the very gates of heaven, so to speak, with a full frontal assault. And that's what I really want you to key in here. Satan and his demon army stormed the very gates of heaven with a full frontal assault. Now, let's, let's back up a little bit here. Let, let, let's kind of get a, a little uh, a kind of a idea of where, where we're at at this time. Remember, we've come here right now into the final years of the world as we know it, the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. Remember back in chapter 11, the seventh trumpet has sounded, and we talked about how that marked the beginning of the end, really, of this evil world. And heaven began to praise God for that. They began to celebrate in that way that finally it's coming. Finally, this last three and a half years, the end of evil is coming, the end of Satan. And we know, because as I've been talking to you about, that out of the seventh trumpet will come the seven bold judgment. And then after that, Jesus returns in chapter 19 of Revelation. But before going on to the seven bold judgments, which we'll see in like chapter 15 and 16, God gives us some information some backstories and some things that have been going on. And last time we saw at the beginning of chapter 12 that God gives an overview of what this war with evil has been all about. And that's what we saw last week, right? You remember from verse 1 through 6. It's been about the woman, Israel, right? And, and, and the woman, Israel, was continually attacked by the dragon, which we know as Satan. And he's all out to stop what the child from being born. And so he's attacking Israel. He's trying to make her trip up and everything. And then the child is born. Then he wants to kill the child, Jesus, the Messiah. So God gave us this understanding and explained how throughout the centuries there has been this long war of Satan. That was our title last week, right? So verses 1 through 6. Well, now here in verse 7, God takes us from that overview to, how, to, to this place in the tribulation on how Satan makes his final push. In this final three and a half year offensive he does at the end of the tribulation. And so, thus, our title, The Devil's Last Campaign. Now, with that in mind, I want you to listen to something what Henry Moore said in his commentary. He felt like in this attack in verse 7 of heaven there, that he felt like it was an attack of the throne of heaven. That was his target. He wrote this in his commentary. 
Probably this very throne will have been the objected of the attack by hell's angels since it was the throne Satan coveted. I thought that was super interesting. And with that, that just clicked with me. All this stuff opened up in my own mind. As you know, uh, uh, we've been studying Revelation. It's our second time as our church. Third time, as far as I've done, a, I did a Bible study years ago when I was young in it. And as we're going to a little more slower this time, there's more things that I have been, I've been like understanding more and what I'm seeing here. So, so here's the thing. Now, Satan's assault for the throne in heaven, it seems to me now, you can study this on your own, but it seems to me a part of a all-out, uh, well-planned, coordinated attack. A coordinated attack. And, and, and let me share with you, here, here's what I think. Let me bring it together here. Three events will probably, most likely, happen maybe like within days of each other, even two of them, maybe at the same time, perhaps. Now, first of all, we saw in chapter 11, the first event is the two witnesses, right? Uh, God introduced the two witnesses. And they're there in Jerusalem, right there, uh, sharing, we believe, Jesus Christ, of course, and and the Messiah is Jesus, and they're sharing to Israel, reaching out to Israel. Well, back in chapter 11, they're killed, right? In verse 7, after preaching Jesus, and what I believe and I, I, I taught you guys, that it's the first half of the seven years of tribulation. Yeah. And so they've been preaching, they've been sharing Jesus, and then we know that three and a half days later, in chapter 11, they resurrect and ascend to heaven. And so, of course, what a witness of Christ, you know, of Jesus that is in their testimony. Well, then I talked about how the Antichrist, he's not going to like any of that. So he makes his move by, remember, standing in the rebuilt temple, declaring to the world that he is God, right? That he's requiring the whole world to bow down and worship him. And we know this as the abomination of desolation. So Jesus called it. That's from Daniel that we studied last year. And what was prophesied that was supposed, that prophesied that is to happen at the three and a half year mark, at the midpoint of the tribulation there. And so, so we read last week in verse six, right? That the Antichrist, his forces, go after Israel. So now remember, coming off of verse 6 as we come into verse 7. And I believe with this, and we get a clue with how God protected Israel in that 1,260 days, right? That equals 42 months or three and a half years. We calculated that out. So as the Antichrist go, is going after Israel, we know in verse 6 that God protects Israel for those last three and a half uh, days from the Antichrist killing, killing uh, uh, the Israel there. I believe as we come into verse 7, at the same time, or maybe days or something within this same time, Satan and his army makes the move on heaven. The Antichrist makes the move to set himself up. As, a God, as God, right? The God of the world, everyone worship me. So then here's Satan and his army making the move on heaven and of course foolishly deceiving himself into thinking that he can even take the throne of heaven. So I see as his man, the Antichrist, attempts to take the throne on earth, here's Satan attempting to take the throne in heaven. And this is it. This is the devil's last campaign. This is his Push. He tries to take control of everything. So Satan's frontal assault in heaven seems to be part of a coordinated attack. So I present that to you. You can study this on your own. But some things were clicking for me. You can get into this passage. And, but it seems to make sense to me when this is happening. What's going on here? And it'll probably come more and click as we open up this passage a little more in our study. Let's stop for a second. Just as the Antichrist wants to take the throne of the earth and have everyone worship him, just as it seems, as Henry Morse put out there, that Satan is trying to take the throne of heaven and have all heaven worship him, you know what? That's Satan's message, mission in your life. He wants 
to take the throne of your heart away from Jesus. So guard your heart. Be akamai about this, yeah? Watch out for his strategies and the things that he's trying to do. All right, so the devil's last campaign, part one, we're, we're coming into the war of heaven we see now, and we see Satan's coordinated attack. Now, number two, we come to Satan's catastrophic defeat. His catastrophic defeat, and, and I, I love to hear that. Verse 8 and 9 here, take a look. Revelation 12, verse 8, it says, And he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, Satan was defeated here. Isn't that great to see in verse 8? In this battle, this war in heaven, it says right away, but he was defeated. I would circle that. I would underline that. I, uh, he's going to be defeated. He cannot overcome heaven. Now, we don't know exactly how this battle went on, right? I mean, what kind of weapons do angels use, right? What kind of weapons do angels and demons use? Is it like these big swords, you know, kinking, slashing of swords? Or what is it? Is it like fireballs, you know? Is it like, I don't know, maybe after all the Marvel movies, you're thinking, you know, kind of thing? Or maybe some angel jujitsu going on? I don't know. I don't know, but one thing is certain, Satan and his forces will lose. Will lose. And with that, we see something amazing here. With that, Satan, the angels, are thrown down, right? And, and there was, verse 8, no longer any place for them in heaven. The NLT translates this way, that Satan is forced out of heaven. You know what that's saying? He's banished from heaven. He's banished from ever entering through the gates ever again. Do you see why when we come to here in verse 7 and verse 89, this is a momentous moment. Can I say it like that? I don't know. But it's incredible. In, in all of history, this is the moment that the dragon, Satan, is thrown out of heaven. He doesn't have access. He's banished. He's never to return along with his angels. And he's thrown down to the earth. Notice here, Satan did not fall like he did out of his position when he first got prideful, lifted himself up. We talked about that last week, right? But this one, he was thrown out. He was forced out. It was done. He was banished. So this battle comes as a catastrophic defeat for him. Because this is when the power of Satan starts to crumble. Time has come for the end of his evil reach. No more in heaven. No more does he have access there to heaven. I like what John Philip said. Satan might be mighty, but he is not the almighty. Amen? He cannot win, and he is lost. So understand, there will be an end to his reaches of evil. And at this point, he cannot get into heaven. He's banished. Kapu already. Yeah. Now, just to be clear, in verse 9, God wants to let us know that this great dragon was thrown down, and his angels, the demons that were thrown down. Just to be clear, he wants to let us know who this dragon is. And just to be clear, what evil is coming to an end. So, so he, he explains this by these names of Satan, basically. And so we're, we're, we see like four, really, names of Satan here. And the first of all, God tells us very clearly four names and ways the catastrophic defeat comes to, first of all, the serpent of old. That's what I, I say. But here it's written in verse 9, 
It says, uh, the ancient serpent, which really refers to Genesis 3 when Satan came, right, as a serpent, tempted Eve in a garden. He was that instigator of evil. He caused that sin to be brought into the world. He is that crafty, evil snake, the serpent of old, the ancient serpent. You know, I was thinking about how Satan wanted for Jesus to um, he, uh, Jesus, uh, Satan waited for Jesus to finish 40 days of fasting. And when Jesus was, you know, physically hungry and in great need, that's when he shows up to tempt Jesus. Yeah. He's that crafty, evil snake. Matter of fact, in Matthew 4, 3, and in that, that uh, uh, account of, of the temptation of Jesus, right away, Satan is called, the serpent is called the tempter, the tempter. And so here's God saying, this ancient serpent, the serpent of old, this is the start of the end of Satan works of crafty temptation. That's the end. Oh, I hate Satan in that way, how he tempts us in the flesh. He's always there. He wants to catch us in our our weak times. But know this, the end is coming for him. And for now, remember James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the next catastrophic defeat comes to this dragon now number two the devil the devil now the devil the greek word is diablos and it means accuser it means slanderer why because that's what the devil does the devil accuses you of sin to god now we're going to talk about more of that later he accuses god of doing things to you he tells you oh look at what god did this. So do you really think that, uh, God loves you? you? really think that? So he accuses God of you. He accuses you to others. He tells others about you. Yeah? And then he accuses others to you to poison your mind. That's Satan. That's the devil here, the slander, the accuser. He tries to divide relationships to destroy relationships. So this defeated dragon is also known as, and we see next in verse 9, we see Satan and Satan. Satan means adversary, enemy. And know that Satan is your number one enemy. He hates you. He wants to bring you down. Put this in your mind today. Satan is not interested in your good. No. Satan is not your friend. He's your enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Be watchful. Your adversary, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's him. That's Satan. That's what his name means. Adversary, enemy. And finally, I'm so glad that what we're reading here That in the end, the catastrophic defeat comes to, and we see in verse 9, the deceiver of the whole world. Number four is the deceiver of the world. That's what he's known as. It is his mission to deceive, to mislead, so that you would be led astray. That's his mission. Think about how Paul even says in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He makes things sound good, but they're not true. He can, he can take truth and mix it with a lie and falseness and, and like, oh, and grab us and grab people in the world. And, and, and I think of all those high-sounding philosophies in the world, the different religions that people passionately embrace. Even think about atheism. That's a lie. That's a deception of Satan. I don't know if you just read, I think it was uh, Harvard just hired an a atheistic chaplain for to be their chaplain, an atheist. I was like, how does that work? It's crazy what's happening. And that's what Satan is doing in this world. He loves to make you think you're following the right thing, but you're really not. And he grabs you to destroy us. I, I, I thought this was fascinating. I read about how polar bears 
they actually feed almost entirely on seals and um, they've, they've come to this devious way of catching seals. When a polar bear like sees a seal like sitting on top of the ice, the polar bear like takes this big breath, dives under the water, under the ice, near into the water, near the location where the seal is. Then he like turns on his back and he makes this little scratching sound with his claws on the bottom of the ice making like there's a fish right there at the edge of, the, of that hole in the ice. Well, the beguiled seal, hearing what he thinks is, oh, good, eats, yeah? Fish, good fish there. He, he goes over, dives in, and then <clears throat> it becomes an easy supper for the predator. The seal played into the hands of the polar bear and was devoured. That's Satan. He's a deceiver of the whole world. And, and be on your guard. Watch out because he knows how to get to you. He knows what you're interested in. He knows how to make something and then pull you in. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, yeah. I'm going to believe that. And lead you astray to your destruction. Satan is the master of deception and and, and he couches things in a way it sounds good. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about today, we live in a crazy time. We use, well, I may be using words like he, he'll deceive you and he'll, he'll lead you astray, make, you know, make things like um, sound good. But, you know, today, what's the words going around? Misinformation. Well, that's Satan. Right? That's Satan. Propaganda. Yeah? That's Satan. That's him. He likes to spin the conspiracy theories. That, that's him. He's the one. But it's good to know here that in the end, his deceit is going to be finished. It's coming. It's coming. So we see here the devil's last campaign and the war in heaven. Satan's coordinated attack and and then Satan's catastrophic defeat. This devil that's been giving problems, it's coming to an end. And then we see, and this is number three, Satan's collapse of power. Satan's collapse of power. And here it's the rest of our verses this morning from verse 10 through 12. But first of all, verse 10, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So we see here, John, he hears this loud voice in heaven. Now, we don't know exactly Who's saying this? And I, I kind of tend to think maybe it's not just one loud voice, but maybe it's a uniting of the believers, the voices of the believers there in heaven. Either way, uh, um, many commentators believe that it is believers saying this. And as they're declaring this, this is a declaration. They're all declaring basically the end to the war in heaven, which means Satan's collapse of power. It's crumbling now. And so what they declare and how they see this collapse of power is where they say the salvation and power of the kingdom is manifested in this wind. The power of God, the kingdom of God is beginning to take over here. Where the divine authority of Christ has come by throwing Satan down. That Jesus and his authority and power and reign in heaven has finally cast this devil out. And throwing Satan out of heaven brings an end to something. And what is it that we see in verse 10? It brings an end of Satan coming. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. How the accuser, this is Satan, right? He's, he's the devil of our brothers, of believers. He had constantly accusing believers day and night. That's that continual, constantly. 
Notice it says before God, before our God. Satan constantly came to God, pointing out the sin of believers. But here at this time, this war of heaven that happened and Satan was defeated, no more. He cannot do that no more. He's banished from coming into heaven. So after the the defeat, the devil no longer has personal access to heaven to accuse believers. This is amazing here what we're reading. This This is amazing. Now, I think this clears up some misconceptions. Like some think, well, of course, um, I'll just throw it in, like, you know, misconceptions that, oh, the devil, he's all red. <laughs> he, he, he wears this red suit, he has a pointy tail, and he carries this long fork, pitchfork, yeah? I mean, we know that's a misconception. He's this fallen angel, right? Uh, Something that the devil sits on his throne in hell. That he's the king of, of hell there. And, you know, there's movies and there's depictions of him in that way. But remember, hell was actually created to be his prison. In Revelation 20, we're going to see that Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And he's going to suffer there for eternity. So he's not like the, the, the king of hell sitting on the throne. So there's some mis- misconceptions there. The reality is he fell from his position in heaven, and now he runs around the earth doing evil. That, that's the reality. That, that's, well, that's where he stays right now. Though he no longer is that angel in heaven that we read about last week in Isaiah 14 or Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, right? He actually still has access to heaven. He's not that angel there. Right, He fell out of that, became the devil, but he still has access to heaven with a new role. And what's that role? The accuser of the brothers. To accuse believers. We find in Job chapter 1 and 2, when the angels were reporting to God, guess who was there? Satan. There was Satan too. Questioning who? Job's loyalty to God. Ah, you know, Job, he just follows you because you bless him. You know, if he didn't have those blessings, he, he wouldn't follow you no more. Right? He's coming in accusing Job of his character and his motives. And that's what Satan does. He's the accuser. But that's coming to an end. Today, think about this, what we're reading. The accuser, the devil, accuses you before God. But we have an advocate, our own personal lawyer to speak on our behalf, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. So when the devil goes to God, goes before God, and he, he brings up my name. Oh, look at Rick. He says this, he's this pastor, but he's sinned. Look at his attitude that he holds. Look at, look at how he talks to his wife. Look at how he treated his children. And, and, and look, he failed you, God. Well, you know, it's true. <laughs> Satan can accuse you, but oh, many times it's true. I should be condemned. But in the courtroom of God, Jesus, my defense lawyer, speaks up. And he tells the judge, the heavenly father, and he says, you know what? He's one of ours. He believes in me and my provision through my blood shed on the cross. So what does the judge do? He declares me forgiven. For Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? No condemnation. No condemnation. That's what the devil is up there. He's accusing you. He's trying to bring you down in front of God and condemn you. That you don't deserve nothing. But because of Christ in our life, in our belief in His atonement on the cross, the Father says, there's no condemnation. Case closed. So be encouraged. The days of 
angels seeing Satan coming into the court of heaven. The day, I, I picture the angels seeing the devil coming up. Those days when the angels say, oh, oy vey, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, right? Oh, no, there he is again. Oh, there he coming in, complaining, criticizing, condemning. There he is again. You know what? The days are numbered. His access will be denied. It's coming, you guys. It's coming. Look at verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So this defeat in this war of heaven of, of Satan, it was a huge blow to him, right? It was, a, it, was, it was the collapse of his power, his influence there he had in heaven. But you know what? These believers or this person declaring this, really telling us in verse 11 that he's been struggling already and he is going to continue to struggle even from here on. So the praise actually goes on, this declaration, praising God, goes on to say how they, now who's they? Well, I believe it's believers who are in heaven and also believers that are still on the earth. Tribulation saints, we talked about them. Well, they were not defeated by Satan. That they will not be defeated by this accuser. They conquered the devil, this slander, this one who continues to condemn believers. They conquered the devil. How? How's that? By, by some, are we, do we read here by some incantation? You know, oh, you got to say certain words. Yeah, read this paper and, and Satan won't, you know, bug you anymore. Is it by that? Is it by some exorcist? Is it by binding Satan in a certain way? That's not what we read here, no. But ultimately, you know what we see? Three things. Number one, by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. And this just connects with all that we've been talking about. Believers, sins are all covered by the blood of Jesus that has been shed on the cross. The accusations of Satan may be true, but the penalty is paid for. That's why there's no more condemnation. That's why 1 John says, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Yeah? It's just for him. It's, it's his right. It's correct. It's for him to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because Jesus paid for our penalty that we should have received. And so there's no more condemnation. Do you know what there is? A whole lot of forgiveness. Yeah? A whole lot of forgiveness. Now, that doesn't give you an excuse to sin. But it sure covers when we mess up, when we fail, when we're tempted and we fall and we give into the flesh. But there's a whole lot of forgiveness for you and I. And so do you understand, by the blood of the Lamb, we can overcome, we can conquer Satan's accusations, his condemnation upon us. When he starts pushing hard, when he starts making us feel like we're nothing and we're no good and we're not loved by God. How can we overcome that? By the blood of the Lamb. This is how evil Satan is. Think about his, his strategy, right? First he tem- comes and tempts you. Oh, do this, sin, sin, do this, do, do right? Yeah? Give in to your emotions. Give in to that anger. Make that act. He tempts you. And then he condemns you after you fall into that sin. What an evil guy. Then he goes to God. He goes before God and accuses you before God, trying to convince God to not keep you around. How evil is that strategy? That's how he works it. But so great is the cleansing power of the holy blood of Jesus that Satan can't beat that. Not at all. Not at all. So do you understand how powerful the blood of Christ is? Do you understand why we talk about it? Do you understand why today in communion we thank the Lord 
for dying on the cross for us. We honor him. Do you understand now that Satan cannot overcome you with condemnation and accusations, even if it's true? The devil's trying to put a dent in your salvation and even in your assurance that you're a child of God. That's what he's coming to do. He wants to, he wants to trip you up here, make you give up in your walk. So number one, by the blood of the lamb. Number two, by the word of their testimony. Believers are not only powerfully forgiven, but understand it, but their lives have been powerfully changed. That's salvation, right? We have been saved by God. We've been forgiven, but not only that, we've been powerfully changed and rescued. We've been powerfully made children of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so believers can testify to the power of salvation in Jesus Christ in our lives. Someone said this, God is in the business of changing lives, and the more we need to change, the more we'll actually be changed by the power of God. That's how it happens. Let me say something here. When we make being a Christian into something else other than Jesus' power, to change a life, right? We lose our testimony. We lose our testimony. When when we change Christianity to something other than, I've been forgiven of my sins. I now have a relationship with God. When we make it something else, we lose our testimony. When we make the Bible into something to beat people up rather than showing them how the truth has set you free, you lose your testimony. Let's not corrupt the testimony of Jesus in in our lives. Let's let that light shine, right? We're forgiven powerfully and we're powerfully changed. And and we have this relationship with God now that we didn't have before. And we have heaven in our future. And I'll tell you what, if you keep to that, you will conquer the devil. You will conquer him. So we conquer the devil by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And number three is by not loving their life more than Jesus, or not loving life more than Jesus. So the evidence of a changed life is, is, is what we read here now in verse 11. For they love not their lives even unto death. The evidence of that changed life is just that. They did not love their lives uh, more than Jesus. They were willing to what? Lay down their lives, sacrifice themselves for Jesus, but... You know what for me this is? They are willing to deny themselves. To deny yourself. Loving Jesus more than loving me. Loving life. Even in the face of persecution, right? If our life is threatened, the first thing is, oh, preserving my life. Yeah? But these guys, no. They denied that that urging, that, that, that thing inside of you. They put that aside. They're willing to die for Jesus because they love Jesus more. And what a testimony that is, right? You cannot stop this kind of person that no matter Satan throws at this person, you cannot bring that person down because they're even willing to go all the way to die because they're denying themselves. So there's the key. There's the secret. You want to be unstoppable against the devil and his attacks? Yeah? You want to be unstoppable? Deny yourself. Don't make it about your own convenience. Don't make it about what I want. Don't make it about, oh, what's more comfortable. Yeah, what's going to work out for me? Deny yourself. Take up the cross and what? That's right. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. So let's finish up here. Verse 12. It says, Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So you see how Satan's power, his influence, it's collapsing. And 
And the last part of this praise and declaration calls out now, rejoice all of heaven. Rejoice everyone there in heaven. Heaven is purified of this evil guy now, right? But woe goes down to the earth and sea. Basically the world, yeah, and everyone living there. The population of the earth. For, you know what, Satan's really upset now. He's really, really mad because he was thrown down. His power is, is collapsing. And look what it says at the end of verse 12. Because he knows that his time is what? Short. He knows it. He knows what's coming up. He knows the end. I heard one pastor say, uh, Satan's read the book of Revelation. <laughs> he knows. He knows. He knows his time is short. That's why he's, he's ramping things up. That's why his assault on heaven. And now he's really upset. And we're going to see next time the war on earth. But, but that's why he knows now. He knows. Understand, Satan knows already the clock is ticking down even today. Why do you think? Why do you think we, we live such in crazy times, you guys? Why do you think are so, why do you think things are so bad right now? I mean, crazy. I don't want to get into it, but it, it's crazy. This week, every week, something different, right? And in the world, even. Why do you think this world is even? We see all the signs heading into this global government. Yeah. Because Satan wants to set it up for the Antichrist. And we're going to be talking about all that in chapter 13. But think about this. Why do you think we see many Christians falling away from God? Because Satan's pushing hard right now. I'll tell you, there's many Christians have become casualties of this war with Satan. He's really pressing hard on anyone who names the name of Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Do you think a, a, a lot of this craziness that's out there, like, the misinformation and this, that, and this news story and this and that. It's, there's so much. There's crazy extremes. Yeah. I mean, stuff you're like, what? Aliens? What? No, what? This person really isn't there? It's, it's a clone? What? You know, crazy, crazy stuff. But in the midst of it all is some truth. And, and my new word is, um, I mean, I've been saying we've got to navigate through these times. My, my second word is we've got to sort through all the stuff we see. But understand, oh, that there's deceitful spirits, teachings, and demons that are pulling people away and Christians from what really matters. Watch out, be on guard. You know why? The devil knows it's the end. And as the saying goes, misery loves company, right? He knows. He's good. He knows what's going to happen to him. Don't let go of what will conquer all of the devil's tactics, strategies, and attacks. Let's be overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, his testimony in our life, by denying yourself and loving Jesus more than yourself. I'll close with this. It's, uh, there, it's been told, a story from the ancient times, how the 12th legion of Rome's imperial army had become, they all became Christians after Christ's death and resurrection. All 40 soldiers were following Jesus. Upset with this, the emperor Licinius made an edict that every soldier must sacrifice to the pagan gods of Rome. While these 40 soldiers, this legion replied, said, you can have our armor and even our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to no one but Jesus Christ. So, because of their stance, they were all marched Unto this frozen lake, stripped and told to renounce Christ or freeze to death. But if, if they would renounce Christ, they could come back and find warmth. But no one did. 
And in that cold winter night, the soldiers huddled together, and they all strongly sang, 40 martyrs for Christ, 40 martyrs for Christ, 40 martyrs for Christ. But then one man lost courage. They were freezing to death, so he left the other 39 soldiers, stumbled to the shore, and he renounced Christ. But then suddenly, the, the, the rest of the, the soldiers there on the shore saw the Roman officer in charge of all this, who was carefully watching everything, surprisingly walked out to the, onto the ice to where the other guys were, threw off his clothes, and he lifted his voice up and sang, 40 martyrs for our Christ. Because of their testimony, this officer gave his life to Jesus. Nothing can stop them. Nothing. And even what we're seeing today, the devil's last campaign. Let's pray. Lord, Lord Jesus, may, we, may what we learn here today make us live differently, God. God, thank you for giving us a glimpse, Lord, of what will be happening in the future. But we know already the enemy of our souls is pressing down hard. We know already he's, he's, he's rolling things, God. He's, he's ramping things up to get everything set for the tribulation years. We see it. We are definitely in these end times. We've definitely seen prophecy come true. But as we do, God, may it influence us and may it know that, may we know that there's an end to this evil and Satan and his demons. So may we shore up even more, be on guard even more, understand the strategies of the enemy and how he's trying to take us down even now. And God, I've lost, I've lost battles. I've succumbed to temptation. But thank you, God, that you receive us by your forgiveness, by your grace and your mercy, Lord. And that's what I pray for right now, that none of us is perfect. But, Lord, thank you for your grace, and I pray that you give us more grace, God, that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And I pray, Lord, that as we move into this time of communion, God, that you would look upon us with love, mercy, forgiveness, and renew our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him.